Hello, everyone. This is Rosemary Coates in Silicon Valley. I'm your host for this edition of the Frictionless Supply Chain Podcast. I'm the executive director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring back manufacturing to the U.S. or expand their manufacturing here. And I'm a contributing writer to Supply Chain Management Review. Today, I'm really excited. I've been I've been trying to get Jill Donahue on the program for a while, so I'm really uh, delighted to introduce you to Jill Donahue. She's the vice president at Bumblebee Foods. She's responsible for supply and demand planning, customer service, warehousing, transportation, and data analytics. Just consider for a moment how crazy difficult it must be to manage raw materials that swim all over the oceans in the world. So a really interesting supply chain. Can't wait to hear the bumblebee story from Jill. So let's get started. Welcome, Jill. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for having me. So tell us about your background and how you came to be vice president of supply chain at Bumblebee. I, I know you have a a long history of working with um, food supply chains. So give us a little background. Well, thank you. I started um, my career at Kraft Foods way long ago. Not going to tell you when, um, <laughs> but I started in uh, forecasting. And at Kraft Foods, I ended up going into several different areas of supply chain. I went into transportation and warehousing and um, got involved in DC network studies. I got to know a, a little bit about each area of the supply chain. And Kraft is a, an obviously great place to start your career. Um, and then from there, I went to Keebler Foods as their director of transportation. And now I'm at Bumblebee as their vice president of supply chain. How so, long have you been at Bumblebee? I've been at Bumblebee 20 years. <laughs> okay, long yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. So right. most of my career, I've been in the CPG industry, which I love. I love being able to touch and feel the products that we supply to our customers. It's exciting. Okay, and Bumblebee primarily is fish products. Is that correct? But I think you also do uh, chicken now. Is that yes, right? primarily it's uh, canned fish products. We also have like different, uh, I guess, packaging in addition to cans. But when I started, it was all canned product. But yes, canned seafoods, uh, canned chicken, and a few canned meat products. Okay. All right. This is interesting. We don't get these kind of uh, this kind of information very often. So I think it's really exciting to talk to you. You have such a unique and fascinating supply chain of bumblebee chasing fish around the world. It's got to be hard. Can you tell us about your supply of, of fish and how you plan or can't plan for supply? That is the unique thing about bumblebee. That's different from my experience at other CPG companies. Um, to your point, we are chasing fish, if you will, around, around the world, around the globe. Um, so the way it works at Bumblebee, we have a very long supply chain. So let's just focus on our tuna, which is our major category. So we do the canning and processing of the tuna in Santa Fe Springs, California, but we have to get the fish there, right? So with the fish, obviously tuna swims all around uh, the world. We catch the fish, actually our vendors catch the fish 
where they're swimming, and we bring them to processing uh, facilities that are close to where the fish are caught. As an example, we clean and prepare the fish in Fiji. We have a, a location there uh, that is actually operated by the government in Fiji. So the fish is cleaned and prepared there, frozen, and then it's transported to Santa Fe Springs, California, where we process it and put it in cans. But with the supply chain, what I tried to say earlier, the lead time, I may be able to say change our manufacturing schedule at Santa Fe Springs, you know, for the next two weeks. But I have to plan for that fish to be caught and transported and cleaned at Fiji, right? And then transported to Santa Fe Springs, I would say 120 days ahead of that. So there is wow. a lot of advanced planning that we have to do. Yeah, it must be a, really a, a difficult job to coordinate the fishermen. And I mean, if they're chasing fish around, they have to get them to Fiji, right? Right. So the are they primarily in the Pacific Ocean? No, they swim all around the world. So Fiji is just one example of where we clean the fish. But uh, we're fortunate that we are owned by FCF, which is the world's largest uh, buyer of albacore tuna. So FCF is actually buying the fish and sending it to the facilities around the world to be cleaned and processed. And then we basically take ownership at the cleaning facilities and bringing it into the United States for canning. So is the planning part fairly stable? I mean, I would... I can't imagine how you figure out where those fish are going to be or, you know, at what time they're going to be there, or it must be really difficult planning to plan. You know, the difficulty in planning is um, figuring out what our consumers are going to do. So I'll give you an example. COVID. Oh my goodness. People bought toilet paper and canned tuna. Like you wouldn't believe. We wow. could not keep up with it. Right. So we're fortunate, though, that we do have relationships around the world that when things like that happen, in addition to producing at our Santa Fe Springs facility, we're able to procure finished goods from other places in the world. So um, the fish source um, and supply is fairly stable. Um, just to go into a little bit of detail, we are very focused on sustainability and ensuring that we're only fishing or buying from people who fish where there's plenty of fish, right? And we um, monitor along with several other companies, um, the health of the fish and the ocean, meaning is there enough supply of fish in that region? And if it's rated yellow, or red, that there's not enough, we don't fish in that area. And again, it's not bumblebee fishing, it's our vendors. But we right. have an agreement that we will not buy from people who fish in areas of the world that so, are So ahead. the fishermen are required to report that or how yes. do you know where the yes. fish are? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it is interesting. And it's actually, I will tell you, I'm not the expert in that area. So there's different people in the company that are primarily responsible for that. So I don't want to get into too much detail because I may misspeak. 
Oh, okay. No, no, no problem. But I can imagine planning for it and, and you know, tr trying to figure out if you're going to get the goods from Fiji or somewhere else must be a daunting task. It is. Yeah. yeah. And how about transportation? So if you have these places around the world and um, the supply is somewhat unpredictable, you must have a lot of flexibility in your transportation planning as well to be able to pick up the fish from different locations? You know, actually, Rosemary, because if you think back to, we are only um, buying from vendors that are um, fishing in areas of the world that have healthy stocks of fish, we're not as concerned about the supply of fish, okay. right? So, and we know that we have a limited number of locations that we use for cleaning the fish. So we have pretty um, reliable lanes and volumes to contract with our ocean carriers. So um, it's not as much of an issue, knock on wood, please knock on wood over there. <laughs> have not had that issue if, of not having enough fish. Okay. And, and so and then on, our transportation. And so then on the consumer side, um, is it is uh, demand predictable or is it seasonal? Do you do you see differences like that on a, in a normal situation? Yes, in a normal situation, our uh, volume has traditionally uh, peaked in the first quarter because of Lent. A lot of people are giving up oh. meat and they're consuming seafood, and we have a very nutritious affordable product that people can eat in the cans and pouch seafood as well. We have canned seafood, we have seafood in pouches and we have seafood kits with crackers. Um, so, but we do see a spike in the first quarter because of that. But when you think about transportation, that is the best time for us to have a spike because most transportation providers have excess capacity in sure. January, February, and March. So that works from a transportation perspective to our advantage. Ah, yes, I can imagine. So the their uh, transportation peak would be in the uh, late summer and early fall in preparation for Christmas. Mm -hmm. so, okay, Are, so do you transport mostly by sea? By well, we transport um, some by sea. But a lot within the United States, I would say 50% of our volume goes intermodal. And okay. so, and then the rest is truckload and, and LTL. Okay. All right. But the incoming supply is all uh, ocean freight, I would imagine, right? Yes. When you're talking about the fish and some of the finished yeah. goods that we buy, yes, ocean freight. But it's yeah. pretty consistent. Um, again, the thing that um, is attractive about our business is... Um, we offset your typical retailer peak season. So what's nice in our negotiations is that we're able to tell our partner carriers when times are slow in the first quarter, you're going to have consistent volume for us. And that volume that you're going to see in the third and fourth quarter is consistent. We're not suddenly peaking for the holiday season. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So you mentioned earlier the pandemic, you had a, a, a huge spike in demand. I 
so you know the pandemic period was crazy for so many companies uh some of them you know couldn't couldn't find parts they couldn't get uh raw materials others saw a complete drop in demand and others saw a spike in demand tell us a little bit about how you handled it and you know how you manage this uh, changing situation you know what was so cool about the pandemic and my in my mind <laughs> as far as our business was the way our whole company came together and brainstormed and how can we work together when i say the whole company our sales and supply chain got together we were meeting weekly strategizing and we did what several companies i believe did in the cpg space um, we decided at that time, in order to meet the consumer's needs, we really need to focus on a core number of products. We can't, we offer a lot of varieties of canned seafood, and especially out of our Santa Fe Springs plant. And so what we did is we took a strategy that we were going to go from, I hate to say it, almost 100 SKUs out of that plant to what we called the Magnificent Seven. So we focused on seven SKUs so that we could optimize the production capacity at the plant and get more food to the consumers. That was our focus, is how do we produce more? People are staying home, they can't go out, they need to eat. This is a great source of protein and it's affordable. So that's one of the things we did. The other thing is we were able to, um, tap on some of our, or have part, we have partnerships around the world that can also help us um, in times like that, where we were able to buy additional supply. So that's an example of, of some of the things that we did. But the great thing was being able to have these weekly meetings with our sales um, team members and really strategize on how we're going to go to market to help the consumer. Yeah, that's a, that's a very common theme that, you know, so many of the companies that we've talked to had to take extraordinary action to collaborate, even within their own company, uh, to, to change the strategy and the direction and uh, to make, you know, creative changes in their supply chains just because of the extraordinary situation. But I would imagine that you have lots of these kind of events also, um, such as climate change and uh, you know, uh, El Nino and typhoons and all kinds of things that may affect your supplies. How do you handle that? That's interesting. Um, interesting question. Yes. Weather does impact us. And even domestically here in the United States, you may not think about this, but um, we're impacted when there's hurricanes. When there's hurricanes in the Southeast, people go to the store and, um, buy water and canned goods. So whenever that kind of thing happens, we do have a big surge um, in demand for canned tuna and canned seafood and canned protein products. Um, and we're very fortunate to have very good relationships with our third-party warehouses. Um, with that, what I'm trying to explain here is we're able to be flexible. So we have a uh, a five basically DC network where our DCs service the regional area. So we have one in Atlanta, we have one in New Jersey, Chicago, Southern California, and Washington. 
But in times of extreme volatility like that, when we have more demand than let's say our Atlanta DC can handle, our Northeast DC will pitch in and we'll start sourcing product for our customers out of other regions. Um, I'm really proud of our partnerships that we have with our third-party DCs because even though they're different companies, um, they really pitch in and help us out and help each other. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's that's a great way to, to think about it. So um, you must facilitate that collaboration really well uh, over time so that the independent DCs are actually working together. Yes. That, that's a that's great. What about on the supply side? How does climate change affect the supply? I'm, I'm, you know, the changing water temperatures, there must be changes in the behavior of the fish also. Yes. And again, you're kind of dabbling into an area that's not my expertise, okay. but um, I have not seen that impact um, as much, but yeah, it, it does happen. Yeah, but not enough to impact the business that we just supply to the consumers. Okay. So you're planning something for that supply. we manage internally. Yeah, so you're managing for supply far enough in advance that you can handle all those kind of incremental changes, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we're coming to the end here, Jill. Can you, for the benefit of the women um, in supply chain management that are listening today, so this podcast is... Uh, highlights women leaders in supply chain management. So for the benefit of those up and coming women in supply chain management, what, what advice do you have for their career paths? Well, especially for those younger women that are coming into the field, I would encourage you to, to really take the time early in your career to learn about all of the supply chain. So let's say you start out in your career in transportation, find opportunities to be on cross-functional teams, find opportunities to take lateral moves into other areas of the supply chain. The more you learn early on will help you as you advance in your career in supply chain and allow you to do more things. Um, and I would say be bold, don't be afraid to Take a leadership position in an area that is not your expertise. I feel very fortunate that I've been able to do that, especially even here at Bumblebee. I've taken on responsibility that maybe I just dabbled in early in my career, but I understand enough from my schooling and from my experience to be able to lead that function. So my advice would be get as much experience as you can in different areas of the supply chain early on in your career. And don't be afraid to ask for more. Even if you don't have that experience, ask for it. And you'll be surprised that people will give you that opportunity and you'll be fine. You'll succeed. You'll have great people that report into you that can help train you as well. But it's all about leading those people and understanding the basics. Uh, that's terrific advice. Very good advice. I had the same experience early on. I kept asking for more responsibility. Yeah, and I, I think um, at the time I was the only manager at the company I was working for, the only female manager. Uh, and I think people were a little bit surprised that I wanted to take on 
more responsibility, but it was fun and, and very rewarding and turned out great that I looked at a lot of uh, the functions in supply chain. So I'm with you on that. I definitely agree. And uh, that the, the more experience you have across all the functions of supply chain, the better you're off in your career. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jill. It was so interesting to talk to you. I'm, I'm just excited that um, you have a different kind of supply chain at Bumblebee Foods and uh, learning about it was very interesting. If uh, anyone wants to get in touch with you or learn more about Bumblebee Foods, can you give us some contact information? Definitely. Um, my email address is Jill, J-I-L-L dot Donahue, D-O-N-O-G-H-U-E at bumblebee.com. Great. Terrific. Thank you. And you can listen to more Frictionless Supply Chain podcasts posted on Supply Chain Management Reviews, Landing Page, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at rcoates at reshoringinstitute.org and visit our website, www.reshoringinstitute.org, where we publish all of our information on manufacturing in America. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Rosemary.